section twenty eight of the fortunes of nigel by sir walter scott this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty six give us good voyage gentle stream we stun not thy sober ear with sounds of revelry wake not the slumbering echoes of thy banks with voice of flute and horn we do but seek on the broad pathway of thy swelling bosom to glide in silent safety the double bridle gray or rather yellow light was beginning to twinkle through the fogs of white friars when a low tap at the door of the unhappy miser announced to lord glenvarlock the summons of the boatman he found at the door the man whom he had seen the night before with a companion come come master let us get afloat said one of them in a rough impressive whisper time and tide wait for no man they shall not wait for me said lord glenvarlock but i have some things to carry with me ay ay no man will take a pair of oars now jack unless he means to load the wherry like a six-horse wagon when they don't want to shift the whole kit they take a sculler and be damned to them come come where be your rattle-traps one of the men was soon sufficiently loaded in his own estimation at least with lord glenvarlock's mail and its accompaniments with which burden he began to trudge towards the temple stairs his comrade who seemed the principal began to handle the trunk which contained the miser's treasure but pitched it down again in an instant declaring with a great oath that it was as reasonable to expect a man to carry paul's on his back the daughter of trap-boys who had by this time joined them muffled up in a long dark hood and mantle exclaimed to lord glenvarlock let them leave it if they will let them leave it all let us but escape from this horrible place we have mentioned elsewhere that nigel was a very athletic young man and impelled by a strong feeling of compassion and indignation he showed his bodily strength singularly on this occasion by seizing on the ponderous strong box and by means of the rope he had cast around it throwing it on his shoulders and marching resolutely forward under a weight which would have sunk to the earth three young gallants at the least of our degenerate day the waterman followed him in amazement calling out why master master you might as well gie me t'other end aunt and anon offered his assistance to support it in some degree behind which after the first minute or two nigel was fain to accept his strength was almost exhausted when he reached the wherry which was lying at the temple stairs according to appointment and when he pitched the trunk into it the weight sank the bow of the boat so low in the water as well nigh to overset it we shall have as hard a fare of it said the waterman to his companion as if we were ferrying over an honest bankrupt with all his secreted goods ho ho good woman what are you stepping in for our gunwale lies deep enough in the water without live lumber to boot this person comes with me said lord glenvarlock she is for the present under my protection come come master rejoined the fellow that is out of my commission you must not double my freight on me she may go by land and as for protection her face will protect her from berwick to the land's end you will not accept at my doubling the loading 
if i double the fare said nigel determined on no account to relinquish the protection of this unhappy woman for which he had already devised some sort of plan likely now to be baffled by the characteristic rudeness of the thames watermen ay by god but i will accept though said the fellow with the green plush jacket i will overload my weary neither for love nor money i love my boat as well as my wife and a thought better nay nay comrade said his mate that is speaking no true water language for double fare we are bound to row a witch and her eggshell if she bid us and so pull away jack and let us have no more prating they got into the stream way accordingly and although heavily laden began to move down the river with reasonable speed the lighter vessels which passed overtook or crossed them in their course failed not to assail them with their boisterous raillery which was then called water-wit for which the extreme plainness of mistress martha's features contrasted with the youth handsome figure and good looks of nigel furnished the principal topics while the circumstance of the boat being somewhat overloaded did not escape their notice they were hailed successively as a grocer's wife upon a party of pleasure with her eldest apprentice as an old woman carrying her grandson to school and as a young strapping irishman conveying an ancient maiden to dr rigmarole's at redriff who buckles beggars for a tester in a dram of geneva all this abuse was retorted in a similar strain of humour by green jacket and his companion who maintained the war of wit with the same alacrity with which they were assailed meanwhile lord glenvarlock asked his desolate companion if she had thought on any place where she could remain in safety with her property she confessed in more detail than formerly that her father's character had left her no friends and that from that time he had betaken himself to whitefriars to escape certain legal consequences of his eager pursuit of gain she had lived a life of total seclusion not associating with the society which the place afforded and by her residence there as well as her father's parsimony effectually cut off from all other company what she now wished was in the first place to obtain the shelter of a decent lodging in the countenance of honest people however low in life until she should obtain legal advice as to the mode of obtaining justice on her father's murderer she had no hesitation to charge the guilt upon culpepper commonly called pepper cole whom she knew to be as capable of any act of treacherous cruelty as he was cowardly where actual manhood was required he had been strongly suspected of two robberies before one of which was coupled with an atrocious murder he had she intimated made pretensions to her hand as the easiest and safest way of obtaining possession of her father's wealth and on her refusing his addresses if they could be termed so in the most positive terms he had thrown out such obscure hints of vengeance as joined with some imperfect assaults upon the house had kept her in frequent alarm both on her father's account and her own nigel but that his feeling of respectful delicacy to the unfortunate woman forbade him to do so could hear have communicated a circumstance corroborative of her suspicions which had already occurred to his own mind he recollected the hint that old hildebrand threw forth on the preceding night that some communication betwixt himself and culpepper had hastened the catastrophe as this communication related to the plan which hildebrand had been pleased to form of promoting a marriage betwixt nigel himself and the rich heiress of trapboys the fear of losing an opportunity not to be regained together with the mean malignity of a low-bred ruffian disappointed in a favourite scheme was most likely to instigate the bravo to the deed of violence which had been committed the reflection that his own name was in some degree implicated with the causes of this horrid tragedy doubled lord glenvarlock's anxiety in behalf of the victim whom he had rescued 
but at the same time he formed the tacit resolution that so soon as his own affairs were put upon some footing he would contribute all in his power towards the investigation of this bloody affair after ascertaining from his companion that she could form no better plan of her own he recommended to her to take up her lodging for the time at the house of his old landlord christie the ship chandler at paul's wharf describing the decency and honesty of that worthy couple and expressing his hopes that they would receive her into their own house or recommend her at least to that of some person for whom they would be responsible until she should have time to enter upon other arrangements for herself poor woman received advice so grateful to her in her desolate condition with an expression of thanks brief indeed but deeper than anything had yet extracted from the austerity of her natural disposition lord glenvarlock then proceeded to inform martha that certain reasons connected with his personal safety called him immediately to greenwich and therefore it would not be in his power to accompany her to christie's house which he would otherwise have done with pleasure but tearing a leaf from his tablet he wrote on it a few lines addressed to his landlord as a man of honesty and humanity in which he described the bearer as a person who stood in singular necessity of temporary protection and good advice for which her circumstances enabled her to make ample acknowledgment he therefore requested john christie as his old and good friend to afford her the shelter of his roof for a short time or if that might not be consistent with his convenience at least to direct her to proper lodging and finally he imposed on him the additional and somewhat more difficult commission to recommend her to the counsel and services of an honest at least a reputable and skilful attorney for the transacting some law business of importance the note he subscribed with his real name and delivering it to his protege who received it with another deeply uttered i thank you which spoke the sterling feelings of her gratitude better than a thousand combined phrases he commanded the watermen to pull in for paul's wharf which they were now approaching we have not time said green jacket we cannot be stopping every instant but upon nigel insisting upon his commands being obeyed and adding that it was for the purpose of putting the lady ashore the waterman declared that he would rather have her room than her company and put the wherry alongside the wharf accordingly here two of the porters who ply in such places were easily induced to undertake the charge of the ponderous strong-box and at the same time to guide the owner to the well-known mansion of john christie with whom all who lived in that neighbourhood were perfectly acquainted the boat much lightened of its load went down the thames at a rate increased in proportion but we must forbear to pursue her in her voyage for a few minutes since we have previously to mention the issue of lord glenvarlock's recommendation mistress martha trapois reached the shop in perfect safety and was about to enter it when a sickening sense of the uncertainty of her situation and of the singularly painful task of telling her story came over her so strongly that she paused a moment at the very threshold of her proposed place of refuge to think in what manner she could best second the recommendation of the friend whom providence had raised up to her had she possessed that knowledge of the world from which her habits of life had completely excluded her she might have known that the large sum of money which she brought along with her might judiciously managed have been a passport to her into the mansions of nobles and the palaces of princes but however conscious of its general power which assumed so many forms and complexions she was so inexperienced as to be most unnecessarily afraid that the means by which the wealth had been acquired might exclude its inheritrix from shelter even in the house of a humble tradesman while she thus delayed a more reasonable cause 
for hesitation arose in a considerable noise and altercation within the house which grew louder and louder as the disputants issued forth upon the street or lane before the door the first who entered upon the scene was a tall raw-boned hard-favoured man who stalked out of a shop hastily with a gait like that of a spaniard in a passion who disdaining to add speed to his locomotion by running only condescends in the utmost extremity of his angry haste to add length to his stride he faced about so soon as he was out of the house upon his pursuer a decent-looking elderly plain tradesman no other than john christie himself the owner of the shop and tenement by whom he seemed to be followed and who was in a state of agitation more than is usually expressed by such a person i'll hear no more aunt said the personage who first appeared on the scene sir i will hear no more on it besides being a most false and impudent figment as i can testify it is scandalum magnatum sir scandalum magnatum he reiterated with a broad accentuation of the first vowel well known in the colleges of edinburgh and glasgow which we can only express in print by doubling the said first of letters and of vowels and which would have cheered the cockles of the reigning monarch had he been within hearing as he was a severer stickler for what he deemed the genuine pronunciation of the roman tongue than for any of the royal prerogatives for which he was at times disposed to insist so strenuously in his speeches to parliament i care not an ounce of rotten cheese said john christian reply what you call it but it is true and i am a free englishman and have right to speak the truth in my own concerns and your master is little better than a villain and you no more than a swaggering coxcomb whose head i will presently break as i have known it well broken before on lighter occasion and so saying he flourished the paring shovel which usually made clean the steps of his little shop and which he had caught up as the readiest weapon of working his foeman damage and advanced therewith upon him the cautious scot for such our readers must have already pronounced him from his language and pedantry drew back as the enraged ship chandler approached but in a surly manner and bearing his hand on his sword-hilt rather than the act of one who was losing habitual forbearance and caution of deportment than as alarmed by the attack of an antagonist inferior to himself in youth strength and weapons bide back he said maister christie i say bide back and consult your safety man i have evitted striking you in your ain house under muckle provocation because i'm ignorant how the laws here may pronounce respecting burglary and hame second and such matters and besides i would not willingly hurt ye man e'en on the causeway that is free to us baith because i mind your kindness of lang syne and partly consider ye as a poor deceived creature but deal den me sir and i am not wont to swear but if you touch my scotch shouther with that shule of yours i will make six inches of my andrew ferrara devilish intimate with your guts neighbour and therewithal though still retreating from the brandished shovel he made one-third of the basket-hilled broadsword which he wore visible from the sheath the wrath of john christie was abated either by his natural temperance of disposition or perhaps in part by the glimmer of cold steel which flashed on him from his adversary's last action i would do well to cry clubs on thee and have thee ducked at the wharf he said grounding his shovel however at the same time for a paltry swaggerer that would draw thy bit of iron there on an honest citizen before his own door but get thee gone and reckon on a salt eel for thy supper if thou shouldst ever come near my house again i wish it had been at the bottom of the thames when it first gave the use of its roof to smooth-faced oily-tongued double-minded scots thieves it's an eel-bird that fouls its own nest replied his adversary not perhaps the less bold that he saw matters were taking the turn 
of a pacific debate and a pity it is that a kindly scot should ever have married in foreign parts and given life to a purse-proud pudding-headed fat-gutted lean-brained southron e'en such as you maister christie but fear ye weel fare ye weel for ever and a day and if you quarrel wi a scot again man say as mickle ill a his sell as ye like but say nane of his patron of his countrymen or it will scarce be your flat cap that will keep your lang lugs from the sharp abridgment of a highland winger man and if you continue your insolence to me before my own door were it but two minutes longer retorted john christie i will call the constable and make your scottish ankles acquainted with an english pair of stocks so saying he turned to retire into his shop with some show of victory for his enemy whatever might be his innate valour manifested no desire to drive matters to extremity conscious perhaps that whatever advantage he might gain in single combat with john christie would be more than overbalanced by incurring an affair with the constituted authorities of old england not at that time apt to be particularly favourable to their new fellow-subjects in the various successive broils which were then constantly taking place between the individuals of two proud nations who still retained a stronger sense of their national animosity during centuries than of their late union for a few years under the government of the same prince mrs martha trapboys had dwelt too long in alsatia to be either surprised or terrified at the altercation she had witnessed indeed she only wondered that the debate did not end in some of those acts of violence by which they were usually terminated in the sanctuary as the disputants separated from each other she who had no idea that the cause of the quarrel was more deeply rooted than in the daily scenes of the same nature which she had heard of or witnessed did not hesitate to stop mr christianus returned to his shop and present to him the letter which lord glenvarlock had given to her had she been better acquainted with life and its business she would certainly have waited for a more temperate moment and she had reason to repent of her precipitation when without saying a single word or taking the trouble to gather more of the information contained in the letter than was expressed in the subscription the incensed ship chandler threw it down on the ground trampled it in high disdain and without addressing a single word to the bearer except indeed something much more like a hearty curse than was perfectly consistent with his own grave appearance he retired into his shop and shut the hatch door it was with the most inexpressible anguish that the desolate friendless and unhappy female thus beheld her sole hope of succour countenance and protection vanished at once without being able to conceive a reason for to do her justice the idea that her friend whom she knew by the name of nigel graham had imposed on her a solution which might readily have occurred to many in her situation never once entered her mind although it was not her temper easily to bend her mind to entreaty she could not help exclaiming after the ireful and retreating ship chandler good master hear me but a moment for mercy's sake for honesty's sake mercy and honesty from him mistress said the scot who though he essayed not to interrupt the retreat of his antagonist still kept stout possession of the field of action he might as weel expect brandy from bean-stalks or milk from a craig a blue what stain the man is mad bomb mad to boot i must have mistaken the person to whom the letter was addressed then and as she spoke mistress martha trapboys was in the act of stooping to lift the paper which had been so uncourteously received her companion with natural civility anticipated her purpose but what was not quite so much an etiquette he took a sly glance at it as he was about to hand it to her and as i having caught the subscription he said with surprise glenvarlock nigel oliphant of glenvarlock do you know the lord glenvarlock mistress 
i know not of whom you speak said mrs martha peevishly i have the paper from one master nigel graham nigel graham humph oh ay very true i had forgot said the scotsman a tall well-said young man about my height bright blue eyes like a hawk's a pleasant speech something leaning to the kindly north country accentuation but not much in respect of his having been resident abroad all this is true and what of it all said the daughter of the miser hair of my complexion yours is red replied she i pray you peace said the scotsman i was going to say of my complexion but with a deeper shade of the chestnut weel mistress if i have guessed the manner of right he is one with whom i am and have been intimate and familiar nay i may truly say i have done him much service in my time and may live to do him more i had indeed a sincere good will for him and i doubt he has been much at a loss since we parted but the fault is not mine wherefore as this letter will not avail you with him to whom it is directed you may believe that heaven has sent it to me who have a special regard for the writer i have besides as much mercy and honesty within me as man can wheel make his bread with and am willing to aid any distressed creature that is my friend's friend with my counsel and otherwise so that i am not put to much charges being in a strange country like a poor land that has wandered from its ain native hersel and leaves a tate of its woo in every damned southron bramble that comes across it while he spoke thus he read the contents of the letter without waiting for permission and then continued and so this is all that you are wanting my dove nothing more than safe and honourable lodging and sustenance upon your own charges nothing more said she if you are a man and a christian you will help me to what i need so much a man i am replied the formal caledonian e'en sick as ye see me and a christian i may call myself though unworthy and though i have heard little pure doctrine since i came hither a polluted with men's devices a hem wheel and if ye be an honest woman here he peeped under her muffler as an honest woman ye seem likely to be though let me tell you they are a kind of cattle not so rife in the streets of this city as i would desire them i was almost strangled with my own band by twa rampallions who i wanted yestreen day farther gain to harl me into a change-house however if ye be a decent honest woman here he took another peep at features certainly bearing no beauty which could infer suspicion as decent and honest ye seem to be why i will advise you to a decent house where you will get deuce quiet entertainment on reasonable terms and the occasional benefit of my own counsel and direction that is from time to time as my other avocations may permit may i venture to accept of such an offer from a stranger said martha with natural hesitation troth i see nothing to hinder you mistress replied the bonny scot ye can but see the place and do after as ye think best besides we are nay such strangers neither for i know your friend and you it's like no mine Wilk knowledge on either hand is a medium of communication between us even as the middle of the string connecteth its tway ends or extremities but i will enlarge on this farther as we pass along gin ye list to bid your tway lazy loons of porters there lift up your little kist between them whilk a true scotsman might carry under his arm let me tell you mistress ye will soon make a tomb pocket of it in lunnon if you hire tway knaves to do the work of ain so saying he led the way followed by mistress martha trap-boys whose singular destiny though it had heaped her with wealth had left her for the moment no wiser counsellor or more distinguished protector than honest richie manipoles a discarded serving-man chapter twenty six